I don't feel like myself anymore. I don't know who I am. I don't recognize this person. Well, hello there, and welcome back to another episode of the All of Life show. I am one of your hosts, Stuart White, along with my beautiful and talented and lovely and amazing wife, Alicia White. I stole Thanks part of your part. Thanks for giving me room there, babe. That was nice. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. It's okay. We always do these silly openings like this, and it's always a lot of fun. So thank you guys for tuning in. We appreciate all of you who listen, but those who don't, we do not appreciate it all. No, I'm kidding. Um, we have an interesting episode lined up for you here. Uh, we decided, and it was announced last week at the end of our episode, which if you made it that far, congratulations, you win a prize. You get to listen to this episode. But Alicia had mentioned that she wanted to do a book review, and it's a book called Try Softer. And who's the author? Andy Kolber. And Alicia got turned on to this book. Well, how about I ask you, what is it that got you interested in doing this book review, but more importantly, reading the book in the first place? I'm passionate about doing book reviews currently because I feel like this is a season of my life, the last maybe year, that I have... um, ventured more into the world of finding a book to fit something that you are going through in your life. It seems like a very simple concept. I'm sure most people actually read books like that, but I didn't. Um, I just didn't spend a lot of time reading books or listening to books, but I think in the last year there have been enough things in my life personally that have brought me to the point of thinking, I really need some outside help here and I can't do this on my own. So the reason why I picked up this book specifically was because I actually had started seeing a therapist a little while ago And she, after hearing my story and things that I had been dealing with and struggling with, she had recommended this book. It was the perfect book for what I needed right now in this season of my life. I was struggling with some intense anxiety and depression that I have never struggled with before ever in my life. It was not For me, it was always just something that I saw other people struggling with or friends struggling with and feeling compassion towards that, but never being able to relate to that specifically. So in this season of my life, experiencing those things, I reached out to this book to try to help with that. Even though we talked about some of this last week in our interview with Pastor Josh Pazma, which if you haven't listened to that episode, we encourage you go back and listen. Some really good conversation there. Uh, And that episode, though, one of the things we dealt with primarily was anxiety, and it really played well into leading into this book review. So Alicia had felt like, hey, I think this would be the time to to do this book review. Um, And so, babe, what is it, and share as much as you'd like here, that brought on the the whole thing leading to seeing a counselor mm-hmm. and and getting recommended this book uh, and, and all of that. Please expound on that a little bit. I think I could start with saying the obvious stresses of what the last or what 2020 has brought to not only me, but the entire world right now um, with the coronavirus, with the political climate, with um, just everything that has 
gone along with that everything changing with uh, your work schedule and us homeschooling the kids now and and moving from one house to another amidst all of that but we're really rooted from is a story that I just don't know that I'll ever be able to tell publicly and I wish I could because I tend to be a very open person but I just think that because there are other people involved I don't feel comfortable with sharing only my side of the story when their side doesn't get to be heard you know no like longing to hurt or or wound or offend anybody in that since I kind of, I know parts of, mm-hmm. of, well, I know the whole story. Um, tell me, what is it, though, that through that event or series of events, where did you find yourself? What was your heart doing? And you, you described it a certain way to me, and, and I want to see if you remember what that was. It, was. it was the way you felt. Suddenly, one day, you said to me this one thing. You came to me, and you said, you, you don't feel like yourself. Yes, I do. Yes. I said, I don't feel like myself anymore. I don't know who I am. I don't recognize this person, which for me is a pretty big statement because I feel like I have always operated in confidence, in um, knowing who I am, what I'm feeling in a situation, how I think and feel about a situation. But because of the events of the last maybe year and a half or two years for us, I have come to a place or did come to a place where I truly could not recognize myself. Yeah. And, you know, I can attest to that. Like anyone who knows you and, and like to know you the way that I know you, you've always been that person. Like you had a confidence, you had a certainty, uh, a comfortability with who you are, what you know, what you want to do. Like you had a clarity, I guess, in, in your focus, in, in your life. And there was this, I don't, I don't think it was an all of a sudden thing. It was like a marked moment of gradual decline to where you, you looked back and you went, how did I get here? Like, um, I I remember somebody in youth group telling a story. We were going through the book of Hebrews and they talked about how Hebrews deals with three things, drifting, doubting, and departing from the faith. And I still remember that to this day, which is which is a testament to to that teaching. Uh, but one of the stories that was given was the pastor who was teaching said he went to the beach when he was uh, in high school, and they had gone and swam way out, and they were playing and not paying attention. And then they came back in from the day out in the water, and they walked back up, and they can't find their car. Well, they didn't know, but they had drifted down like a half a mile or something from where they originally had gone in and didn't even notice. And I think that that application has always stuck with me. Like, we don't typically see this dramatic decline all in one day. We we miss it because it comes in these casual little things that we just sort of let slide. And I think for you, that's what I noticed was there was this difference in your personality first and and but it was like okay that's just stress that's mm-hmm. she'll get over that that's fine but then it sort of began to like not go away and that day when you're like I don't know who I am I don't feel like myself I I I feel completely shaken I'm not sure what's going on 
that was a big one for me. Like I, I realized just thinking, oh my goodness, like I, I didn't understand how much it was weighing on you. Uh, the only thing I would say to that is when you're saying like, where you said like when these things go unaddressed, I don't necessarily think that where I was at was because of anything that was going unaddressed in my life. I feel like I could not have spent more time addressing <laughs> the reasons why mm-hmm. I would say probably what more so was happening is that I was trying to, um, figure all of these things out, put a name to the emotions. Uh, like if I could call it out, (laughs) do you remember that book that I read? Uh, I don't know. I think we talked about it on the podcast, but the next right thing, she said, Western culture is trained to seek to understand because we think if we can understand something, then we can control it. Well, I think I was trying to apply that to my emotions. Like, why am I feeling this way? Why am I sitting on the couch, staring at the wall, feeling like that's the only comfortable thing I can do at the moment. Why did I used to love having a calendar full of events? And now if I have one dot on my calendar, I am almost feeling like I'm going to have a panic attack. Like I used to operate in a way that thrived off of that. And now I can't even take meat out of the freezer without feeling overwhelmed by the thought of, because if I take the meat out of the freezer, then I have to do something with it. So I'm trying to figure out all of the reasons why, but for me, it was just trying to basically trying to control those emotions, which Mm -hmm. is unfair (laughs) to myself. Well, I, I I remember that too. And I, I remember thinking the same thing, like it's an assumption that we have that, well, if you can understand, then you can, you can fix it, you can solve it. Mm -hmm. But that isn't always the case. Like sometimes you can understand what's going on. But it's sort of like an, it's like a bomb going off. You can understand the process of an explosion, but in the middle of that ac- actual explosion happening, all you can do is brace for impact. And, and I think that's where you found yourself. You were, you were just little by little worn down. And yeah, you're right. It wasn't that you weren't addressing them, but I think it was that the assumptions you had made about how you needed to address them were incorrect or or not the solution it was more just seeking understanding about it but not a a real resolution not recognizing that the resolution doesn't necessarily come just because you understand what's going on so let's get into the book but before we do we we want to make just a little statement ahead of time and that is in any book review any author that we interview anything like that we always want to have a caveat that simply says that we believe that no human being is perfect, no book is perfect except the Word of God, and that all of them should bow the knee to Scripture and to Jesus Christ. Um, I will say that this book, I felt before I get started in digging into it, was a very good combination of using... um, science and scripture, basically using science as a tool that God has created to point us back to him and then scripture to back that up. So I thought, um, I don't think I've ever read a Christian book from such a psychological standpoint that made so much sense to me. So with that being said, she goes in and talks about the science between how we develop our attachment styles. And I thought this was incredible 
incredible to just read through the different attachment styles that we have. She talked about um, the four different attachment styles that she talked about was the autonomous or secure attachment style, which would be, of course, the most healthy attachment style, a preoccupied or anxious ambivalent attachment style, a dismissive or avoidant attachment style, and then a disorganized or fearful attachment style. Um, so when she talked about this, obviously I don't want to like give the whole book away because I a hundred percent think every single person should read this book, no matter where they are at in their lives. But she talked about the way that we develop our attachment style is when we are in community with our caregivers. So that is whoever had the responsibility of raising us, whether it be parents or grandparents or aunts and uncles, whoever was the primary caregiver in our childhood. The way we feel the most safe and secure, and this is the part that was my favorite part about that whole chapter in the book, was it's not how we have been harmed by those caregivers. It's how those caregivers came back and repaired the harm. So the <laughs> obviously, for obvious reasons, I'm a mother. So this gave me hope that, oh, in the ways in which I've harmed my own children, I can go back and repair those relationships. And that does it's the repair that develops who they are. Um, so that being said, the examples that she used are, uh, let's say a, a mom is under stress and she snaps at her kids and she, and, and you may identify with this from your childhood. If you had a parent that was constantly snapping at you or yelling at you or telling you bad things about yourself, that is very hurtful. Now, did that parent come back to you and say, I'm so sorry. Will you please forgive me? That was wrong of me to talk to you like that. That is what develops our attachment styles is the repair that comes from when a harm has been made. Yeah, that part there really stuck out to me, uh, particularly the piece on repairing the harm done. Now, what it isn't really speaking of is like, hey, if you're physically abusing your right. children, you know, and as long as you go and you say, hey, I'm real sorry about that later, that's not what it's talking about. If you have done that and you are repenting and you are seeking inroads of, of healing, then there's a place for that. But truly what it's speaking of, though, is when we have our moments where we're in a Christian sense, we're in the flesh and we respond impatiently to our children, we we raise our voice, we yell or whatever, um, and we hurt them and like that. And it could be something else too. It could be um, just a way of disregarding them. Mm -hmm. The biggest thing is not just that the hurt happened. Like the hurt isn't going to be the determining factor, but it is the seeking to repair the hurt. And I think if you're listening and you, you've grown up in a family dynamic where that never happened, you probably understand that better than anyone. And, but maybe in this moment you're going, oh, wow, I never thought of it like that. Yeah, you're right. If, if my mom or my dad had simply come to me and said humbly, I am so sorry. I, you know what? Please forgive me. I was wrong in that. And you, you know what? The crazy thing is you see that in Scripture. We are to confess our sins to one another. We are to, be, uh, to walk in humility with each other. It encourages parents and fathers not to embitter their children, not to cause them to be angry, uh, to lead them into wrath or anything like that. And if you do, though, repentance is a key thing. 
I find it interesting that that is something that she concluded. And even though she is a believer, I think that this is probably something, too, that they're realizing within psychology and other things, mm-hmm. too. So, you know, it's sort of that, oh, look, you found something God put there, like a truth that God made. Boom. There Truly, you go. The, the family unit was something that he set up to be a reflection of our relationship with him. So they're talking about attachment styles and how we develop our attachment style and sinning against each other separates us, not attaches us, separates us. But what brings us, what attaches us, what connects us is the repentance. Mm -hmm. And that is exactly what sin does between us and the Lord. Like sin separates us from the Lord. Repentance brings us back. Yeah. I really like that. Did you, um, can you explain a little better to the, not just what the attachment styles are, but Explain maybe an example, if you have a a few examples of those attachment styles. Uh, She did talk about uh, a study that was done years and years ago where children were, children and their mothers were brought into a a room and they studied the children's reactions on um, when the mothers left the rooms and were left with a stranger. And then when the mothers came back and all of the different children's responses to those, um, I could go into it a little bit, but basically a secure attachment means that you feel very safe with your caregivers. Um, You're not worried about them not coming back. Um, You're not worried about your safety when they leave. A preoccupied or anxious ambivalent style was you're starting to get a little nervous when they leave. You, You don't know. The way this might look is that your parent has not attended to your needs as a child all the time, but only some of the times. So you might be a little confused as to when you are going to have your needs met and when you will not have your needs met. An avoidant and dismissive attachment style was basically you can pretty much guarantee that your parent or caregiver is not going to meet your needs. So this happens a lot with children who... um, like you hear about children in like Haiti or, or Africa that are, are left in their cribs until they're two years old waiting to be adopted, but literally they don't even cry anymore because no one comes when they cry. And then the last one was a fearful or disorganized attachment, and this is reserved for children, um, or I should say any human, who has undergone an incredible amount of trauma, stress, um, abuse. Uh, we saw this in one of our foster sons. It's just a very um, dis, yet yeah, disorganized is a great word. Sometimes he's do he would be doing great and would would love you and would hold on to you, and the other times he's like hitting you and trying to get away, and and you're treating him the same, but he doesn't understand that because his attachment style was all over the place because mm-hmm. of what he had experienced in his life. What is it in you that? you took away from these things like where is it that it really started to go the light bulb moments in this book for you as as you're reading as you're as you're listening um what popped out and made you start to go oh that that's what that was it wasn't necessarily in this section but it was in the next section that really popped out to me where she talks about our window of tolerance and So when I referenced in the beginning of the podcast that I couldn't understand why I used to be able to handle so much more on my plate than I could right now, like I could, I could, I remember saying to a friend of mine, I could, I used to be able to handle 10 times the amount of things that I have on my plate. 
with ease. And now one of those things is overwhelming me. And so this was huge for me. She talks about that everyone has a window of tolerance and that window of tolerance usually goes along with how our, how our attachment styles are. And I feel like I grew up with a very secure attachment style um, for the most part. But what happens is when you experience trauma or whatever type of trauma that that might look different for going through some traumatic event yes, of some sort. Yes, not necessarily a car accident or an a, a, an a, a physically abusive abuse situation yeah. or anything like that. But when you experience when you go through a traumatic event, your window of tolerance becomes much smaller, and that was mind blowing to me. Like it oh my gosh, this is what's happened to me. And it absolutely makes sense that when you go through a traumatic event, what you could handle before, you can't necessarily handle now. And it's not because you can't figure out the emotions that you're going through. It's because you are in process and it takes time to get through that and to identify those things and to work through it and to go through the healing process. How did you find that the knowledge that you were getting because this could have just Mm -hmm. been knowledge but it seemed to be more than that like you actually were able to put that knowledge to work and make it wisdom how did it go to work in your life I had reached out to a therapist who another therapist who had heard my story and who had said um we can meet but it sounds like you have experienced some really rough things, maybe on the verge of PTSD. And I would recommend that you consider um, taking medication for it. So <laughs> at the same time that we're about to go on this retreat, you and I were going to go on a weekend, get, get away, just the two of us. Yeah. I was beginning to read this book and at the same time had heard from a couple different people, you might want to consider taking medication. Something that I don't know if it was pride or, or what it was. I would have never judged anyone else for taking medication, but for some reason in my own life, it just was not an option for me. I think pridefully, I just thought, well, I'll never need that. And I found myself in a place where I needed to let that pride down and say, no, I actually do think you need that. So that's the preface to say, when we started reading this book, I had recently started taking um, some antidepressants for what I was going through. That I think, I explained it to you. I was feeling like I had a rock that was strapped to my ankle keep and I was in the ocean and the rock was holding me down just one inch below the water and there was nothing that I could do didn't matter how hard I swam I could not get up above the water and so the medication I think truly clipped the rock off my ankle and brought me to the place where I could swim I say that because I feel like I needed to be in that place to even receive the things that she talked about in the book because before I wasn't even in a place where like I had amazing people in my life. I have amazing people in my life, amazing community who speak truth into my life. And, but I, I didn't even know how to let it sink in because I felt like I was so underwater. Mm -hmm. So that was the first step. So that brings us back to that analogy. You mentioned it earlier and then you just mentioned that now. Having that rock clipped from your ankle, like that weight that's pulling you down, sometimes there are things in your life where 
it's it's a matter of when we said this the last episode staunching the bleeding first you have to stop the bleeding in in order to stabilize and then we can go to work and do the things necessary to heal the wounds stitch them up whatever is necessary and when we're speaking of something trauma related and it's a an event in your life it's going to be different obviously it's not as we said earlier we're not speaking of physical uh accidents or or abuse um necessarily but we're talking about things that are emotionally traumatic you could have witnessed something or been the victim of something um it could have been even something like identity theft for somebody I think actually tying back to the question that you asked, like what helped me take some of this knowledge into wisdom? She talked about the differences of feelings and emotions. She says the sensations and nervous system states that we experience in our bodies are called emotions. The names that we give those expressions are called feelings. Oftentimes people use these interchangeably. I'm sure I will even in this podcast. But she goes on to talk about the fact that an emotion or what we call what we name it as the feeling like you could not stop the emotion that was going on in your body that was a physical response to something that had happened to you you did not have any control over that emotion I think something that I was doing and have been doing and have probably done my whole life and I would venture to say that a lot of you (laughs) do the same thing, is that we try to convince ourselves that we shouldn't be feeling what we're feeling, that our emotions are not valid because in our head we can explain away why we shouldn't be feeling them or how we could pull ourselves out of it. But the fact remains that we are feeling the way that we're feeling. And she says in the book, the truth is, even if we do choose to deny our emotions, they don't actually disappear. Just as with everything else in our journey through life, our bodies remember. If we ignore, numb, or disconnect from our emotions, the wisdom of our bodies will find another way to communicate to us. And I truly believe that a lot of that in my body came out in anxiety and depression. Unaddressed emotions that I was completely disconnected from because I was explaining away why I shouldn't be feeling them or how I could pull myself out of that situation is just completely disconnected from what I'm actually feeling and giving grace to myself for feeling those things. She talks about a story that she had told her therapist and she took her daughter to school and had completely forgotten that it was school color day and her daughter had really been looking forward to this day And she realized when she got to the school that she had totally forgotten and she knew her daughter was going to be disappointed. So she was explaining this to her therapist and saying, I don't understand why I felt so much guilt and shame over like I have failed her. I have failed my daughter. And her therapist said, if that had been whoever's mom, Samantha's mom, your friend, and she had made that mistake, what would you have said to her? her answer was, I would have told her, it's okay. We make mistakes. Like the grace that she would have given her friend in the same situation, she wasn't giving it to, she herself. wasn't giving it to herself. And I realized that that's pretty much how I have operated my entire life is that I pour out grace and benefits of the doubt to everyone else in my life, but I don't give that 
same grace to myself. So when you say the difference between taking that head knowledge and turning it into wisdom, she talks about how the Lord feels about us and how much grace he has towards us and how he sees us. It's just not at all how I see myself. She talked about the ultimate attachment being our relationship with the Lord and how studies have shown that based off of our attachment styles that we've received from our caregivers, we tend to project those on how we feel about God and our relationship with God. I think obviously we could do a whole nother podcast episode about that specifically, but I think it was so true. And a verse that she mentioned in there about how to feel attached to the Lord or how the Lord feels towards us was Isaiah 54 10. And it says, even if the mountains walk away and the hills fall to pieces, my love won't walk away from you. My covenant commitment of peace won't fall apart. And I thought that was a beautiful picture of how the Lord feels about us. So I have been working on taking the head knowledge that I experienced and actually treating myself the way that the Lord would treat me in these situations. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a fine uh, difference there too. And I think some people may miss it and may hear, oh yeah, you just got to love yourself more. Like the, these are the popular things that you hear in modern culture. You know, you're, I'm awesome, you're girl power, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. the, the encouraging thing is it's based in utterly nothing except that, well, if you just use these words, it'll be true. What she's saying here, what you're saying there is it's based in who God says I am and who he has made me to be knowing those things and actually practicing and believing like, okay, God, it goes back to our episode last week. In fact, when God comes to you, like Jesus came to Peter on the water and says, uh, yeah, come on, get out of the boat. And you believe that he says what he says you can do. Oh, okay. I'll trust that if you have given me the ability to do it, I, I'll do what you tell me to do. And I think that's that's especially true in what you've said and what she's saying here, that once I understand that it is what God has made me, how he has made me, what he has said of me, how he loves me, and it's all based on Jesus Christ, that he loves his son. When we see that the father loves the son that way, we can recognize if the blood of Christ covers us, then the love of the father is on us like the son. We are sons and daughters. And really, like what you said earlier too, that attachment style thing, we wrestle with that because mostly we view God the Father as however our earthly father was. And I don't know. I mean, I know there are great fathers out there, but we have all had earthly fathers who struggle in one way or another because they're human and they're sinners. And some of them are sinners who are saved and are striving to be transformed uh, and walk in the truth of who God has made them. But a lot of us go through life and we don't really ever connect those two things. And so we think it's all on us. We think it's all in our own strength. And we find ourselves in these places often where we're overwhelmed. We're completely underwater. Mm -hmm. We are feeling like the weight of the world is crushing us because um, we have not actually done anything in that sort of regulative principle where we are 
consistently regulating and properly um, defining the boundaries in our life and going, this is what all of my life belongs to God. He owns it. He gets to dictate what it is and who I am. And I need to explore and find that information and actually know the truth. You know, as scripture says, know the truth and it will set you free. Jesus Christ is the ultimate truth. Understanding our identity in Christ changes everything about how we live. But it doesn't mean that we don't struggle, that we don't deal with depression, that there aren't times where God in his wisdom doesn't lead us to somebody who will say, hey, you know what? I I recognize that medication might be something at this moment to really help you. Mm -hmm. You need to get the rock off your leg (laughs) so that you can swim. Yeah. Another thing that I loved about the book, which this idea has intrigued me for a very long time, probably because this is like a generational curse in my family is not understanding what proper boundaries (laughs) look like. It's been a topic that I have read other books on and that I have been very intrigued about, but she does touch on this topic and she says in the book, many of us learned early on that setting a limit with anyone, especially someone you care about is disrespectful and that being a quote unquote good Christian means you have to give people what they want no matter what, but this isn't true. Jesus who showed us how to fully embrace our infinite beloved humanity often said no communicated his preferences and set limits. And then she gave multiple examples in scripture in ways in which Jesus did this. You you see it in um, the Old Testament, even in the borders and boundaries, like it was against the law to move the boundaries of your land to like, basically they're saying if you own an acre, but you move your boundary marker so that now you own half of your neighbor's acre as well, that's immoral. That's wrong. Setting boundaries is biblical, but it's not just about land, but actually in your life. Because really it comes down to we either fear the Lord or we fear man. And if we fear man, then we are going to let the person dictate to us who we are and what we can do and what we can't do. And they control us. So they become who we fear and who we fear is who we worship. It it may not be a worship where we fall on our face, but we are living to please that person. A quote that she had that I absolutely loved. It's from an unknown source. You are not required to set yourself on fire to keep other people warm. Oh gosh. Why does that like hit me so much? Probably because I've done that my entire life. Mm -hmm. I have literally pleasing and yes, seeking the approval of other people in my life. And it's not a mistake. It's not of just because you don't kowtow to what everyone else says you should do or, um, the subtle, the body language or the social cues that people give you that say, if you don't do this, I'm going to be disappointed in you. And then you feel the obligation to do whatever they're insinuating that they want you to do. It doesn't mean that you don't love them to say no. It just means you're treating yourself the more uh, more of the way that the Lord would treat you, respecting boundaries that he gave you to be able to institute that we should all be able to do for each other. So can you imagine a world in which we would be able to say, um, hey, friend, uh, could you please watch my kids for me on Tuesday? And, and the friend says, 
man, you know what? I'm so sorry. That's a really busy week for me. And even though Tuesday's free, I feel like that would really overwhelm me. So I'm going to have to say no. And then the first friend replies with, okay, that's not a problem at all. Thank you so much for your willingness. Maybe next time. And it didn't change the way that we loved each other or treated each other Mm -hmm. or felt about each other. Like there's that unhealthy level where that same scenario, but then the person responds, well, why? Well, what are you doing? Well, why can't you do something for like it, it becomes manipulative. And that's the stuff that we're talking about here is not knowing your boundaries often starts very early and it comes in that attachment style thing and that family of origin thing that they talk about. And yeah, it absolutely can shape the way that you interact with people throughout the rest of your life. You, you will struggle and wrestle with it until you recognize, oh, I'm, I have a fear of man issue here. I am bowing my knee to an idol and not to the Lord. She goes over some uh, some other amazing things that we just don't have time to cover. This was honestly just part one of the book. Um, but in part two, she talks about practices on what actually trying softer looks like. It's very um, application driven. At the end of each cha- chapter, she talks about practical applications for the material in the the chapter and how to apply it to your life. She talks about different grounding exercises, what to do when you're experiencing extreme anxiety, which was really helpful to give me some like daily tips. It was really a vulnerable thing for me to share about getting on medication. But when you are on medication, it doesn't take away the hurt and pain that you've experienced. It just takes away the... (laughs) the rock, like we said. So whereas before I felt like I couldn't pick myself back up, I I would get in a, in a thought loop that just took me down a really bad path. Now I feel like I have the ability to control that a little bit more, but now is where the real healing starts. The, the healing that addresses the reason why I'm feeling the way that I'm feeling, being gentle with myself and saying, it's okay that I'm feeling the way that I'm feeling. The last thing that I did want to say about the book which um, meant so much to me was a quote, and I believe this was from the author, Andi. She said, we are not defined by our best days. We are not defined by our worst days. We are his beloved. And so when we talked in the last episode about the identity issues that we struggle with, um, when we talked about uh, getting our our eyes off of Jesus and and because of the wind and the waves that are crashing around us, which you guys, it is no joke. 2020 is no joke. What we're experiencing right now, we can explain it away and we can say any one thing that we are struggling with, we it may have been a small thing before, but it is one wave after another, after another, after another. And all of those small things are bringing so many of us to the place of just anxiety and depression and not knowing where to go. And I want to tell you now, We are not defined by those good days. We are not defined by those bad days. We are not defined by the the moments where we are yelling at our kids and and quote unquote failing. The Lord already saw that we were going to have those mistakes, but he loves us and he covers us in those mistakes and he his view of us is the the most right view of us so the more we can understand how he feels about us the more we can understand how to treat ourselves with more grace and to try softer 
You are, I am, we are the beloved of God. Let that sink in. Soak on that this week. Think about that the Lord of the universe, the creator of all things, he loves you. We don't serve a God who is unfamiliar with our brokenness and our weakness. We serve a God who knows exactly what we go through, and yet he was without sin. That he died a sinner's death, though, our death that we deserved, and he rose again on the third day, conquering Satan's sin and death, and lives and makes intercession for us day and night. And if you still think that God is the kind of God who doesn't understand what you are feeling and what you've been through, then reference the scripture that talks about Jesus being in the garden of Gethsemane before he was crucified and he literally sweat blood and he begged the Lord to take the cup that was about to fall on him to take it away if it be the Lord's will. If that is not a perfect picture of anxiety, <laughs> like yeah. I've never sweat blood, but my Lord has. He knows what it's like. Yeah. And yet he went through that for us and he is the beloved son. That's what we see when he was baptized and you see the Holy Spirit descend like a dove and you hear the voice of God say, this is my beloved son, hear him. And now in his resurrection, pouring that out on us, giving us his life, his redemption and work in our lives. He makes us beloved like he is beloved. And that is what we want you guys to hear. Our encouragement today is you may be struggling, you may be depressed, you may be uh, just feeling incredibly anxious in all that is going on in your life. And it may have nothing to do with current events. You may have some traumatic event going on. You are the beloved of God, and that God knows exactly what you need, and you can seek out and you can get help in the various forms that God has created, the wisdom uh, that he has given to people to help people going through stuff like what you're going through, babe, what people listening are going through. So you don't need to be ashamed of that. You can be encouraged, but ultimately we want you to know that you belong to God. Friends, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. We hope that it meets you where you're at and that it's helpful for you today. Please know you can reach out to us confidentially through our email, feedback at All of Life Show. And you can also reach out to us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash All of Life Show. We are also on Twitter and Instagram. If you guys have a few minutes, we would love for you to head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. You don't have to write a whole spiel about it unless you want to because we love those and we read those. But if you could just drop us a five-star review, that would be so appreciated. We will catch you guys next week. And we are really looking forward to meeting with you once again here on the All of Life Show where we seek to bring the gospel to all of life.